You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Uh, If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we are, this winter, we're in spring, we're going through this book. We're going to learn this book well. It's going to be a real exciting journey. Uh, We've gone a couple of uh, lessons in. This is our third one. The first one we talked about, uh, we kind of gave you a little bit of an understanding of the the context of these letters. And I always think this is really important to get, because if you can kind of take a second and think, okay, who's writing this to whom? What was their world like? It kind of helps understand what is said, why it's said, and how it would have landed in their ears. And then you and I can kind of think about how the same sort of thing would land in our world. And so uh, this is written to a church uh, in a city called Philippi. And it was uh, a really great city back then. It was a very significant city. Um, it was started in 32, actually initially 41 uh, B.C. and then 32 B.C. It was started as, at, the, at the conclusion of two great, very significant battles in the history of the Roman Empire. And Philippi was started as, it, when it was started, it was started as what they called a Jus Italicama, which is sort of the head city of a Roman uh, area, Roman region. The Roman Empire divided itself up into 16 regions along with the city of Rome. And in every one of those regions, there was one of these capital hubs. And if you happened to be born in that capital city, you had all the privileges and all the rights of a Roman citizen. And Philippi was that. There were a lot of ex-soldiers. When they started the Roman Empire, they, uh, they wanted to reward all the ex-soldiers and all the soldiers that defected from the other team they were fighting against. And they just sort of made this great city there. They invested a lot of capital into building it. And so Philippi was a really happening city. And it was a, very, uh, a city very given to the Roman Empire. There was a very famous word, and I don't think I could say it right, but I'll try. The Greek is polydemos, so something like that. And it, it corresponds a lot to our word patriotic. And it meant that when you said that word, it meant be a worthy citizen. Be a worthy citizen. And so they're, they're patriotic. And what this word means, much like our word patriotic, is that we have a country that is about individual rights, protecting the rights of the individual. But there are people who exhibit patriotism who say, in this country that is so pro-individual, I'm going to sacrifice my individuality for the good of the country, for the good of the ideal. And that may be in going to war. It may be in making a, a donation or doing something very generous. But it, it just means that's, that's kind of what it is. And, and Philippi had this, this was a huge value in this culture and in, in this community. And so when, when the church began, there was uh, back in the day, it began in Jerusalem. Paul went on a 
missionary journey, what they call his first missionary journey, and that was very successful. He came back, and when he was going on his second missionary journey, they sent him out. Uh, The first place he went to was Philippi, and he started what began to be the greatest expansion of the Christian faith in history. And so this is a very significant city. It's a very important city in Christianity, and uh, this letter Paul writes has kind of got some really neat context to it. Paul at the time, uh, this was after that missionary journey. And as he started his third missionary journey, Paul got arrested. And Paul spent his third missionary journey going from prison to prison for about four or five years. And back then, if you were in a Roman prison, particularly if you were accused of leading a movement that was subversive to the empire, one of the things they did not do was feed you. Like you've heard the term rotting in prison. It comes from the old world. If you were in prison, you didn't get fed unless somebody on the outside brought you food. So Paul had started this church about 10 years earlier, 8 to 10 years earlier. They heard he was in prison and this church that was predominantly struggled financially, they were made up of predominantly poor people, took up a very large offering for him. Very large offering. And they brought him food, and they brought him money, and, he, and they brought it to him. And so Paul used this food to, one, survive and stay alive, but also he fed other prisoners who had been neglected. And he bought food for them, and he took care of them. And what was really powerful is that the guards who, who guarded Paul saw this and were like, man, this is a pretty impressive movement here. This, this is different. And then Paul got to converse with them about the gospel. Paul got to share his faith all throughout the jail. And the gospel spread everywhere he went in no small part to these guys' generosity. Who were poor. Who struggled to give the money they gave. And so Paul is basically writing them a thank you letter. One of their leaders, a guy named Epaphroditus, who was a friend of Paul's, uh, came to visit him, brought him that gift. Paul's one of his companions was a guy named Timothy. Timothy wrote this letter that Paul dictated, and he took it back to him. And, uh, and this is the letter he wrote. Paul actually, we know from church history, wrote several letters to this particular church. There's a church father named Polycarp was born in like 70 AD and died in 150 AD, died as a martyr. But in his writings that we have, he talks about how Paul wrote several letters to the Philippian church. This is the only one we have that remains. It's kind of a really valuable thing. And you can see he is just really brimming with pride over these guys. And you can actually read other letters Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament when he mentions the Macedonian church. He's just brimming with pride. And so it's a, a really cool letter. It's, it's just, a, it's an affectionate letter. He's not writing about a theological issue. He is just writing to tell them, thank you. Tell them the gospel is a prevailing where we are. You're great. And he just gives them some advice about their spiritual lives on how to keep growing, how to keep moving forward, and how to keep at it. And so we come to this part in chapter one. It's the very end of the chapter. And what Paul's going to begin to do is he's going to give sort of a pretty long Uh, explanation of a very, very important value that every church and every Christian ought to be deeply committed to. And that value is unity. That value is being united. 
That value is of staying together and working together to produce the kingdom of God and the outcomes God desires in their community. And this is what he's going to be getting into here. And we're going to look, he's going to continue to unpack this for, for about a whole chapter. But we're just going to look at the very beginning of it here at the very end of chapter 1. And I want to start with verse 27. Let me read it to you. Let me scan over this passage a little bit. And I want to make a couple points in the end here. Verse 27. Paul writes and he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you'll be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, if you read this verse, Paul starts out in verse 27. He had talked in the previous few sentences about how he hoped to come to them soon. He hoped to be released from jail. And he wanted to come to them and, and, and be involved in their progress spiritually. But he goes and he says here, hey, even if I don't come, but don't come. And he, he makes a sentence that really doesn't get translated real well, at least in this version of the Bible. But what it basically says in the Greek, he says, when he's talking to him, he says, this one thing. Be worthy of the gospel as a citizen. This one thing, this one thing that I want you to do, this is the one thing I want. I want you to be worthy of the gospel in the way you practice your citizenship. Now, what does that mean? Now, what Paul is going to do here is he starts this sentence by, again, it doesn't translate well, but in the real manuscript by using the word one. And he's going to repeat the word one throughout this, this passage and throughout this verse, the word one. This one thing, be worthy of the gospel. And he says you are worthy of the gospel in the way you live out your citizenship. Again, he uses this word much like the word patriotic to us to describe the way they should live out their Christian life. You should be a patriotic Christian. You should be patriotic when it comes to the Christian faith. And as he elaborates this word and elaborates this term and he elaborates this passage, what he is particularly concerned about with them is that they show their loyalty and their devotion and their love for their Christ and for the kingdom of God by being united, by uniting, by uniting. Now, a lot of times when we hear the idea of unity, we think of just getting along. You know, not fighting with each other, not arguing, you know, being nice to one another. And certainly, that makes being together in a church a lot more pleasant. We're certainly not against that. We're all for that. And that's a, that's a part of being 
unity that's, that's nice. But really what he's talking about here is a lot more than that. He's talking about more about coming together and uniting to work hard to bring about what God desires. It is about giving up your individuality, sacrificing yourself as an individual to contribute to the whole, to the greater purposes of the whole. He's saying, man, this one thing I want to see out of you as a church, as a whole community, that you can lay down your individuality and give to the overall purpose of the whole. Unite. Unite. Come together. Work hard together. Function in an optimal way. This is what he means by this word and this concept. Let's keep going on here through verse 27. The opening sentence, and he says, Then whether I come to you or see you in my absence, I will know that you are standing firm. Again, the word standing firm is a military term, and it described a particular formation the Romans soldiers went through. This word would have been very common. They would have understood this. The Roman soldiers, when they were being attacked, and an army was coming against them, would get into a certain formation where they would sort of become a huge, large cube, several sections of really large cubes, front and back, several deep, and they would unite and they'd hold their shields up and they would stand their ground. They would dig in and when that opposition came, they would, as a unit, they would one, two, three, and they would hoist in unison as a team and and impact what was coming against them. And they stood their ground. And he's saying, man, when I hear about you, I want you to be like that Roman legion that unites and when they're coming they're being attacked you are standing your ground as one body as one person and you are doing one two three and you are together all the force of you united is going into them that's what I want you to do stand firm stand firm as one then he goes on and he describes as standing firm as one as striving together as one. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And again, the word striving together is a really cool word in the Greek. It's, it's the word sin athleto. And it literally is the word where it's with athletic, with a competitor. It's, it's, it, is the, it is where we get the word athlete from. And particularly an athlete in a team sport. And he's saying, be like an athlete in a team sport. Fight like that. Work like that. Go at it like that. You know, last night I was, um, I, I love, uh, I'll go to the NFL network. I love pro football. It's great. And, and I, I love to do the mic'd up stuff. You ever listen to the mic'd up sections? They had mic'd up at the Super Bowl. And I watched it for about 15, 20 minutes, different things. I know I should have been preparing better for the sermon. But it was just kind of fascinating to me. And it was just funny to hear, you know, the, the team, come on. We, just, just to see them working together, you know, functioning together, just kind of in each other's grill. It's just a beautiful dynamic of being an athlete, of, of just being in a competition and, 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 and working and, and being on a team 
You know, I, I used to play high school basketball, and it was a blast. It was a fun, and it was, it's so much better than playing pickup basketball. Yeah, yeah thank you, Tommy. <laughs> we were teammates yeah, back in the day. <laughs> Appreciate the shout there, Tommy. It's deeply, deeply moving. Anyways, uh, but you know, when, when I was on a team, a basketball team, I had to do things that were uncomfortable for me. Like, I just, if you just ask me, all I'd want to do is shoot and score and get credit. That's all I really wanted to do. But you're on a basketball team. You know, you, like, you, you have to do something like you have to run plays. And some of these plays, you do something called set a screen. You know what that is? You just walk up to somebody and somebody's guarding somebody. And you walk up and you stand there and they don't see you. And they just run into you. And you do that so your guy can get open. That's like part of basketball. I remember something else is a really big part of basketball when you play it with a team that when you're playing a pickup game or you're just dreaming of being a basketball player, it doesn't occur to you, is something called defense. Like, you, like, you know, you remember that. you got to play defense if you want to be on our basketball team. And, you know, it was just kind of a funny thing, too, is that I had to play the way the coach wanted me to play. Isn't that amazing? Like, I, I, we had to play hard defense. We had to scrap. We pressed. We had to move quick. And I was not the quickest person on the team by any stretch of the imagination. We played a zone defense. I remember I was on the wing, and I had to, when the ball went there, it was the hardest thing in the world. I had to come all the way over here and I had to move into the zone in front of the guy right here and cut off this down. And it was really hard for me. Really hard. I was a slow white guy on the team. And my coach had no sympathy for me. I still had to get to that spot. And I had to work on it. And that's, that's, that's called being on a team. It's called striving together. It's called being together. But, but you're playing for a lot more than just shirt and skins. Who cares? But when it's your team, it's your school, it's your red and gold, it matters to you. It matters to you that your, your classmates the next day. You know, if you go up to a girl and said, hey, you know, last night in the pickup game, we won four straight and I was a leading scorer in two of them. It just didn't move them <laughs> the way them watching you beat your crosstown rival and you got double figures. It just tended to be a little more of a confidence builder. And Paul's saying, be on a team. Strive like an athlete. Now, now, let me ask you this. Your commitment to your own spiritual life, your commitment to your church, does it look like an athlete? Go to NFL.com today. Click on the Kansas City Chiefs. And look at how they did it and say, gosh, is that really how I am living out my faith. That's a real challenging thought. Paul's saying, this is what I want you to be like. An athlete striving, fighting, contending for the faith of the gospel. I want you to really be going after it. He goes on here, and if you continue to, to read this, he says, you know, in no way frightened in verse 28. By your opponents. That word frightened again is the picture behind it uh, in the original language is of a horse 
getting startled when he's charging. You ever seen a horse in a movie when they, you know, they, they just, ah, you know, I'm not going any farther. He said, don't be like that. Don't be like a horse. That's, yes. You know, you leave church and you're going, yeah, I'm going to go take on the world. I'm going to go to Rock Springs and I'm going to go preach and I'm going to go tell my friends about Jesus. And, I'm gonna, and then you go, oh, oh gosh, wait, 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 no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. Suddenly, guy, whoa, what was I thinking on Sunday? Here's what he's saying. You know, you know, you know what will keep us from, because I'm like that. And you're, every one of us can be like that. We can have the best of attentions, and we can go out, but when we really get in a battle, it's, you know, we just become like a horse. Charging so hard, suddenly, oh. It's when we know one another. When we're in it with one another. When we're a team. When we're united, when we are, we're locking arms, that's when we get through those skittish moments in our life and break through and become somebody and something different. And he, he goes on here in verse 29. He says, for it has been given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. He's saying, you know, it's a beautiful thing not only to believe, to trust in him, to experience salvation, but you know what? To pay a price for what you believe is a really precious thing. To pay a price for it. To sacrifice for it. To, to feel some payment for it is a really beautiful thing. It's a precious thing. It's been given on you not only to believe in Him, not just to have salvation, not just to have a beautiful home in heaven and a better life because of His presence, but it's to pay a price for it. To suffer for it. And he says, you know what? We're all going through the same struggle. He says, you know what? I'm going through the same struggle too. This is a struggle for me. Struggle for you. We're struggling together for the faith of the gospel. And it's a very, very beautiful thing, Paul says. Being one who is walking worthy of their citizenship and their language. Being patriotic for Christ and for the Christian faith. I want to just close with this thought. I believe in every life of every Christian to live this out and look like this. There's probably three transitions that we need to make in our life. From where we start as a believer to where we end up. Three transitions. The number one transition I think we need to make is from being a fan of the church to being a participant in the church. Being a fan to being a participant. You know, fans are really fun thing to be, isn't it? You know, last uh, Sunday I watched the Super Bowl and I am a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs coach, Andy Reid. I just think he's a wonderful guy. I've heard a little bit about him and just a hard guy not to cheer for. Patrick Mahomes, he was a fan, you know. It's a hard guy not to cheer for. I'm just a fan. And I was really hoping they would win. But if they didn't win, I could walk away from it. It's not a big deal. I'm just a fan. It, there's no skin in the game. I'm just a fan. I just like something. I appreciate it. I enjoy it. I'm a fan. Being a participant's a whole different deal. I used to do a lot of Bible studies with football team back when I was a college minister. We had several uh, 
I had a Bible study. One time I had 25, 30 guys every week coming to it on the football team and got to know those guys a lot and get in their world a little bit. It was really kind of neat. One of the things they would complain about, though, and you'd hear them, is that during a loss week, whenever they lost, all week long, fellow UGA students would come up and say, what happened? What happened? And, and you would hear them talk about, oh, gosh, everybody's asking me what happened, what happened? And then they would always complain about them using the term, we didn't do this. Well, I wonder if we should have. They were like, we? <laughs> we, huh? You know. You see, here's the thing as a fan. As a fan, you're responsible for nothing. And that seems like it just protects your right to enjoy. But you know what it is? There's, there's nothing significant about being an onlooker and about being an observer. And there's nothing significant about our spiritual lives if we're just a fan. We just, oh, we just like the music. We like the preaching. We, the jokes are kind of funny. I think taking communion is neat and wonderful. If we're just a fan and we don't participate we're going to be very insignificant. One of the things that Christ calls us to do, what the gospel itself calls us to do, is to get out of the stands and get in the arena and get on the field. Don't just be a fan. Be a participant. The second thing that needs to transition needs to happen in our life is going from a customer to becoming a worker. Going from a customer to a worker. You know, customers are a really cool thing. You go into a, a customer, uh, to a store, you go to Chick-fil-A as a customer, I mean, it's all catered to you, isn't it? I mean, it's just a fabulous experience. You go to a restaurant, you're a customer, they're catering to you, you can, you know, oh, I don't think there's too much salt on this. Well, they'll take it back and they'll give you more salt. They'll, they'll do whatever. <laughs> they are there for you. You're a customer. And, and so often we treat church as though our relationship, we're just a customer. We have certain things we want. We have certain things we expect. We just need to get these things. And, and that's all fine and good. That is a part of being a church. You do provide services to people. Don't get me wrong. But there's a huge transition that happens in somebody's life when they stop just being a customer who is identifying their preferences and trying to get those met. It says, I'm going to be a worker. I will not just, this will not just be about what I prefer and what I want. A worker does things they don't want to do. They do things that are dirty. They do things that are hard. They do things that are tough. But they do it because they care about the overall thing, their overall work. And that's what God calls us to move, move from, from being just a customer to being a worker. And the third thing God calls us to do is to go from being a consumer to being a producer. Not just someone who is consuming ministry, which is important to do, don't get me wrong, but is also able to become a producer, one who is willing to make a difference in others' lives. Make a difference in others' lives. 
You know, we just had an announcement earlier this, this service about mentors. One of the things that goes on so many times is that there are more people, more young people, more vulnerable Christians who say, I need help with my Christian life than there are strong, established believers willing to offer that help. Always the case. Always the case. There was a disciple of Jesus. We all probably heard his name, Simon Peter. Remember him? He had a really incredible journey with Jesus when he was a disciple, when Jesus was on the earth. And after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, he and Simon had a conversation, and he, he asked Simon a really haunting question. He asked him, do you really love me? And he asked him three times. It's in John 21. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love Jesus? who was crucified, and who's been raised from the dead, and who is the Messiah, the Savior sent from God. Do you love him? And Simon kept saying back, oh, yeah, man. He was really bothered by the question and bothered by him continually doing it. And after each time Jesus said that and Simon said, yes, he said, I want you to do this then. He didn't say give money. He didn't say protest this. He didn't say read. He said, do one thing. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Get involved in the lives of those that don't know what you know, that are unstable, and that are vulnerable, but who want to become a a strong, mature, solid Christian. Get involved with them. In a real powerful transition that needs to happen in our lives is to go from being a consumer to being a producer, to being one who says, look, I will, I, I want to be strong spiritually, and I need to take in to be strong spiritually. We understand that. But there's a point where you go, I'm strong enough. I need to start producing. I want to start making a difference in others' lives myself. And these are the things Paul is hoping will happen in these guys' life. This church he was in love with, that he thought was fabulous, that was generous, that was doing so well. He said, man, this one thing, this one thing, live out your citizenship. Be a patriotic Christian. Be patriotic to Jesus sacrifice yourself for the whole. Go from being a fan. It's wonderful to be a fan. We start with being a fan. But go from being a fan to becoming a participant. Go from being a customer to becoming a worker. And go from being a consumer to being a producer. Be a patriotic participant in the kingdom of God. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's in its utterance, and we're just so grateful. And Lord, I just ask you to deal with our hearts about this message. Father, help us to make those transitions in their processes, in their journeys, and they're tough, but help us to transition 
from being just a fan to being a participant. Help us to transition from being a customer to being a worker. Help us to transition from being a consumer to also being a producer. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is in us and amongst us to bring about this transition and transformation. I pray you'd make it happen. Lord, I pray we would pay the price not only to believe in you, but to suffer, to, to fight, to, to work, to be uncomfortable, to get to a place where these transitions really happen in our lives. We thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.